This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Clean Cause. Do you need a healthier option for a quick boost? Grab a Clean Cause organic herba mate and get your day going with 160 milligrams of better caffeine that won't cause crashes, it won't cause the jitters like coffee and some of the other energy drinks might do. You can choose from eight flavors, uh, or you can try out the newly launched non-carbonated Herba Mate. I don't know what it is, too, about the non-carbonated one. You need to get yourself like a fancy glass, maybe some ice in there, maybe like some mint leaves, and then you can pour in some of the Clean Cause uh, organic uh, non-carbonated Herba Mate. Uh, it's, a, it's a great great one on a hot day. But here's the best part. Every sip makes a difference in the fight against addiction. So Clean Cause donates 50%. Yes, you heard that correctly. 50% of net profits to support individuals in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. So not only do they taste great, but you get to help support those who are struggling out there. Grab a boost, live better, transform lives. Head on over to cleancause.com right now and get 20% off your order with promo code SOBERGUY. That's cleancause.com. Enter the promo code SOBERGUY at checkout and save 20%. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Ramey. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. You can find more podcasts, more resources. You can also contact us by going to thatsoberguy.com. No goodbyes, just sneak to the Follow us on Instagram at That Sober Guy Podcast. All the links from today's episode will be in the show notes, so they're easy for you to find. Got a great guest for you today. His name is Michael Eon. And uh, Michael earned a BA in psychology from the University of Michigan and a master's in international affairs from Columbia University. Uh, and he's a former board member of the Audio Publishers Association and a former producer of major motion pictures and television productions. Michael Warpton works in the publishing and entertainment industries for more than 20 years. And uh, he's originally from the New York area, uh, right now currently residing in New Hampshire with his family. And uh, he's about to release his first novel titled These Things Happen, uh, which is due to be released here shortly uh, next month in September. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, Mike's story, of course, the book that's coming out, and uh, just hopefully encourage you guys today and give you guys a little motivation, a little hope uh, through through a great conversation and some, some sharing of our own experience. And uh, Mike, dude, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me, Shane. Yeah, yeah, good, good stuff. So you're originally from New York, East Coast. Uh, I'm all the way on the West Coast. I always love to say, like, uh, you know, the the beauty of technology allowing these conversations to uh, to take place and then throw out there in the world so someone else uh, might hear them today. And uh, I think what we'll do is maybe just give us a little background about yourself. Obviously, I gave a little bit in the intro, but tell us a little bit more about you, um, kind of where you're, where you're from, and then we'll dive into a little bit of your uh, your recovery story too. Okay, sure. Um, I'm originally from northern New Jersey, about 30 miles uh, west of New York City. So, um, uh, you know, that area is very familiar to me. And uh, I grew up with relatives, you know, uh, in New York and Brooklyn. And um, and I've been uh, living in New Hampshire now for about oh gosh it's almost uh almost 20 years now um we moved up here 
just because I had to get out of the city. Yeah. Um, I went to school at the University of Michigan and um, earned the psycho- psychology degree. Uh, and then I ended up starting a company which um, was a major uh, seller of digital. It was one of the first companies along with Audible to be um, a uh, seller of digital uh, audio. Got it. Um, and we we had a um, we went public and it it uh, you know we were doing like 60 65 million dollars a year um, and the fun of it kind of ran out for me um, because of the pressures of of going public and you know um, I you know we'll talk about it but my my drinking escalated uh, and then 911 happened and um, that had a big impact on me and uh, uh, it was about a year after that that I stepped down uh, from that, you know, from running that company, um, to get, to get, to get my act together. Cause yeah. like I said, I was, I was, I, my drinking had spiraled out of control. So, um, I, I pretty much white knuckled it for a few years while I went back to school. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why I, 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 um, decided to go into international affairs and I actually specialized in, um, political violence and terrorism studies. Really? Uh, and uh yeah so after i but the thing is after i got that degree um it was you know the choices were to move down to to washington dc um and kind of start at the bottom uh in and things were kind of chaotic in 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 government at that time and um you know i kind of just decided against it and i started doing some consulting and i was still consulting from my own my old job too so that's when we decided to move the kids up here. You know, what happened was up, we, I'm on the seacoast of New Hampshire. And, and uh, when we moved up here in 2005, it was very, it was very much like it was in, in Morris County, New Jersey, when I grew up in, in the seventies. And I wanted that for, for the kids. And I wanted to get out of that rat race down there. And, um, you know, I was completely burnt out. So, that's what led me up here. And, um, you know, I had a couple of, of, uh, relapses. Um, but, uh, um, I, in between all that, I started getting involved in production of, um, of film and television. And, um, and, uh, so, you know, I was able to, to work out of the house doing that and consulting and all kinds of other things. Yeah. So, um, but all the while, you know, um, trying to maintain my recovery and uh, yeah. get to where I am today. So, what one of the things that interested me um, when I when I had read some of your background and uh, even a little bit about the book was your connection um, uh, to the seventies, eighties uh, kind of metal and punk rock scene out, out there on the East coast. Um, and so I was hoping maybe, cause I, I would guess that some of the, um, alcohol drugs probably was around that time as well. Um, so I was wondering if, if maybe that's something you might want to share a little bit about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when I was 14, no, no, I was probably, I think it was 13. Um, uh, my parents had, had, um, had redone, you know, kind of re, uh, redone the house a bit where we were living and they put in this, um, they put in this kind of tiki bar in the basement uh, and they had one party and they never, they never went down there again. And it was stocked with liquor and it had never occurred to me, but my household was fairly chaotic growing up. Yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, it was kind of, 
you know, living in fear, uh, and, uh, and, um, you know, things like that had a big impact on me uh, growing up and my brothers. And um, and what happened was one day I was downstairs playing video games and I was I think it was about 13. And uh, and I looked at those bottles like I had done, uh, you know, for a year by that point. And for some reason, I decided, hey, let me let me um, let me try it. Hmm. And uh, and that it was alone. I was alone. And um Basically, uh, it, it was the greatest feeling that I had ever felt um, because I was very, um, I was very much a kid in 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 my own head. Um, I had friends or whatever, but I always felt kind of alone. Um, and and uh, music was my saving grace. Mm. Uh, my older brother was into all kinds of 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 what's now classic rock uh, at the time, and so that's where I got um, exposed to a lot of it. And uh, and so. Um, at that point between listening to music for escape and, uh, and discovering the alcohol, um, you know, I was, uh, I was on my way and, uh, and, uh, I ended up depleting, you know, all those bottles, filling Mm. the, 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 the light liquids with water, um, you know, just, uh, and the the dark liquids with flat soda, Coke or whatever. And, um, and over the course of, you know, three years, you know, I, I pretty much emptied that thing out. And then I discovered marijuana. And and so all the while there was music around and they were always living where I lived. You know, there were shows I was going to. You know, I saw, you know, Van Halen at the Garden in 81 and um, I, a Rainbow Scorpions. Um, I saw Metallica on their uh, first um, club tour in New Jersey and New York. Um you know, I bought, uh, you know, I had kill them all and everybody, I was always looking, I was, I, everything for me led to anger and aggression. Mm-hmm. All like, I didn't get anxious and worrisome and cower in a corner. I was very angry and I yeah. would take, and, and that, that heavy music really made a huge impact on me because, um, like at the time, you know, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, you know, I had, I needed something heavier. And that's in 82, 83, when Metallica came along and Slayer and uh, Exodus and Anthrax and all those bands. So, like, you know, that was a huge part of my story um, because I was going to shows all the time. I was drinking. I was smoking pot. I got into cocaine. And, um, you know, between drugs and music, you know, that was that was my escape. That was my that was my freedom. Yeah, I I so. so much relate to you on that. I think that's probably why it interested me when I had saw that in your background as well. Um, you know, similar, I can remember being 14 maybe and, and my, and going out and I don't remember what I was upset about, but it was definitely kind of like you described to it at my own house. I always described it as kind of controlled chaos though. Like it was chaotic, but dad was in control all the time, you know, and well, at least he, uh, tried to be and uh but i can remember going out and seeing a tequila bottle there and i said you know i'm just gonna and there was a little shot glass there i said i'm just gonna take take a couple of those and i remember shooting two of them back to back and i didn't know what really you know i was like okay and then just feeling that warmth and that warm feeling of not having to feel anymore and then you couple that so for me it was like 90s early 90s um uh, and, and mid nineties punk rock and that East Bay punk rock out here in San Francisco and Berkeley and even up in Sacramento. 
And there's some friends of mine uh, in a band called Papa Roach that are from my hometown here. And so those were those small little community center shows being 14, 15, trying to escape home and going to these shows. And, and just like you described, Mike, like getting all that animosity, that energy, that anger. Like I remember my buddy Ray, he was like I, the first one I went to where it was a big mosh pit. And he goes, man, you just got to let loose. You just got to let go. And so I said, okay. And then I let go. And it was like the first time I just was just raging in there, having so much fun, but like getting it all out. And I just, I just thought about that too. That was the first time in my life that I let go. And I'll equate that to letting go of alcohol and letting go in my own, you know, recovery stuff too. I know that was a long, like wanted to share a little bit there, but did you experience that too? Did you feel that, that, that letting go, just being able to just like let it all out and, um, at those shows and then have fun too, of course. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like, like similar to you, I mean, it was a controlled chaos and he had all, you know, he had all the control, my father, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and it was like, I, you know, even today, I, I, you know, I think about how all my life, because I had no control growing up in that house. I had no control at all. Um, that all my life I was, I was, I was, I was trying to get control, you know, yeah. and that's where all these behaviors came about that I had to struggle with in sobriety when I no longer had a drink or drug to kill the, the pain and numb me. Um, you know, that I had to deal with all that um, because I had no tools. I had no one taught me any. I mean, I, I learned everything on my own and everything I learned was wrong. And like, for example, you know, I'm six years old and my father's working on something in the garage and he asks me to. Yes. He says, get a get a, uh, a get a Phillips head screwdriver. Right. And I'm six years old. I don't know what a Phillips head, yeah. but I'm definitely afraid to ask what a Phillips head is because you couldn't ask questions. You had to know answers without knowing so yeah, uh i of course i bring a flathead and i get screamed at and it's like you know you know and so that's the, that's the environment yeah so it's like you're constantly on edge yeah constantly on edge constantly not knowing you know what's going to happen constantly you know mistakes were were not just a a um they were a betrayal you know it was like yeah. how could you you know and it was like how could you expect you know, a six-year-old to know, but whatever. I've gotten past all that, thank God, today. Yeah. But that was a huge part of my uh, of of my anger and hatred, and um, and that's where the music and the drugs and alcohol came in, um, yeah. because I could I could totally let go. I could totally be me. You know, be the yeah. be the person I wanted to be, and um, and they they just it just all took me away. And I, I mean, yeah. I. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I needed it. I yeah. absolutely needed it to survive. Do you still, uh, do you still go to any shows or anything like uh, revisit some of those old school, uh, you know, little clubs or once, shows yeah. once in a while? I mean, yeah. you know, with my kids, I tried to, as they were growing up, I tried to take them to, to, you know, the artists that were, were going to be, um, you know, getting older and phasing out like, yeah. um, you know, Arlo Guthrie, we saw them a few times. We saw him a few times, which I yeah. love. He's, he was fantastic. And um, uh, uh, Pink, uh, Roger Waters, uh, David Gilmore, the Eagles, yeah. um, you know, all those kinds of bands. Um, in terms of the heavier stuff, it's been a while. I mean, I started, you know, I, I was, you know, when Kiss put their makeup back on uh, in 96, you know, I saw them. 
Because I had that was one of my big regrets growing up was I never got to see them with the makeup. Um, so when they put it back on in '96, I was at yeah. I saw three shows in 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 New York. I saw two shows in Jersey. I saw uh, two shows in Orlando and three shows in in um, in Miami. You know, yeah. so I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. But that was you know, but it's been. Since then, you know, I, I saw Cheap Trick at a club. You know, Cheap Trick was actually my first concert in, uh, I think, 79 at the Capitol Theater in Passaic. Um, and uh, actually, that had an impact on me, too, because my cousin, my older cousin, had took me. And I remember going to the bathroom, and there was a guy shooting heroin. And I was, uh, what, 12 at the time. Uh, and I, I was so curious because it, it was like he melted down the, down the wall as he as he was shooting it and and fell to the floor and i remember just being mesmerized by it until my cousin pulled me out with my eye you know with his hand over my eyes you know but um you know so i was always exposed to that stuff and uh and and it always went hand in hand with with the shows and stuff so getting sober and getting older you know kind of took me out of even though all those bands (laughs) All yeah. the guys in those bands these days, Metallica and everybody, you know, they're they're sober too, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's hard. It's it's hard because when you equate that part of your life to being that way all the time. Yeah. With those bands, and then all it's of hard a sudden, to revisit it. You know, it's hard. It, yeah. bring, it it does bring up some some things. At least for me, um, like in and also too, I just think like you mentioned, just being older and kids, and like my wife and I, we went to uh, just a couple weekends ago. We love uh we love reggae so there's a Lake Tahoe reggae fest up here at Olympic Valley, and uh, so so we went and um and we just you know we were walking around it's it's you know it's festival day so it's I mean there's this festival people and there's just it's you know the whole vibes going on it was cool the music was great everyone was happy and stuff but it was just different seeing everyone you know drinking and smoking weed obviously lots of weed at a, at a reggae festival. And, um, and then there's not a lot of chairs either because you like, you just bring a blanket and my wife and I are like, man, we, we need a chair. So like, we literally walked around for like 20 minutes trying to find a damn chair, you know, and sat down and we ended up having a good time, you know, for the most part, it was more just spending time together and seeing some friends and stick figure was, was awesome. But it's just, it's just my priorities and, and my, my love for things are a lot different than they are or than they were back, back then. And, yeah. um, even I took my son, the first show he went to was Madball. I took him to see Madball and Old Firm Casuals up here at like a Elks Club, you know, and that was fun too. It was a few years ago, but it's just, like I said, it's just different. It's not, not the same. Um, What do, uh, so what, what eventually, let me back up. Take us to where um, that point of desperation comes in that point of change like where, where were you at what were what was your lifestyle like and then what was that moment that kind of shifted for you and you you decided to take a different path yeah it's it's really been a long it, it's been a long journey um because it was it was in 2002 in october of 2002 um after 9 11 and everything spiraled my drinking was out of control that um that I stepped down from that job, which had burnt me out anyway. And, um, and that's the first time I admitted to myself and to someone else that I was an alcoholic. Mm. Um, I had, I had been able to, you know, my biggest struggles prior to that were with cocaine and marijuana. And, uh, and I had, quote, beaten them 
you know, kind of on my own. And I always knew that I'd have alcohol. So it was never like a panic situation because alcohol was going to be there, even if it wasn't my first choice. It was always around and it was always going to be there. Then I was left only with alcohol as I had kids and I said, I can't do that stuff, you know, and I always knew that I was different. I always knew that I had the allergy, you know, the physical allergy. Once I, um, once I start, I cannot stop. And, you know, that mental obsession, always thinking about it when I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, but it was like 2000, October 2002, it was October 19th. And um, it was the first time I admitted I was an alcoholic uh, and a drug addict. Uh, and um, I tried out AA and, uh, you know, tried. I went to some AA meetings in Jersey and it was like, you know, everything in my, my body and mind was telling me you are not like them. You don't belong there. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Everything, you know, your mind tells you when you're in denial, you know, of your situation and, um, uh, and you're rationalizing and justifying and everything else. So, um, so like I said earlier, I white knuckled it, um, just smoking cigarettes basically for, uh, for a couple of years while I went back to school, which kept me very busy. So that was good. Um, but, uh, but when, then I moved up here in 2005 to New Hampshire and what happened was, um, I, I was sitting in the backyard. We just moved up. I was sitting in the backyard. It was beautiful. I thought I had left all my, my problems behind, um, you know, the geographic cure type deal. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I mean, literally this wall that I had built up between myself and the drink, which was massive, yeah. had crumbled in an instant. And I had no defense. You know, I had no defense against that. Um, and and I started drinking again. And I went on like basically, a, what was it at the time? Probably like a three and a half year binge uh, of drinking out of control um, uh, until I hit another uh, moment of despair like I had in October of 2002. This was in uh, two th- uh, October of 2009. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, it was, you know, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew when I drank in 2006, I couldn't do it. I shouldn't do it, but I did it. And it was nonstop. And, and so, um, I ended up going back to AA cause it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm either going to drink myself to death yeah. or I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to go to rehab. Um, something bad's going to happen. I got, you know, AA was like the only option. Um, and uh, I went to a meeting here, a 7 a.m. meeting on a Monday morning. Um, and uh, and that's where it all that's where it all started uh, for me, the recovery. Um, and for some reason, I kept I kept going back. And I remember sitting those cha- sitting in that chair early on being like, oh, my God, I mean, paralyzed by the thought that you're telling me I can never have another drink again for the rest of my life. And you're also telling me I got to go to these meetings for the rest of my life. You know, it's like I'm paralyzed. Yeah. I'm paralyzed sitting there. Um, but then someone said something about one day at a time. And I'll tell you, it sounds cliche, but that yeah. that made all the difference for me. Because then it was like, I can do an hour. I can do a few hours. I can do a day, you know, and not worry about tomorrow and not worry about yesterday. Um, and that was a huge help. Um, so I just kept going and I would feel a little better and I had that pink cloud. Um, but I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing the step work. I was, I was like, I thought I go in there and I think I have no fear. Mm. 
I'm riddled with fear. <laughs> if I'm being honest with yeah. myself, yeah. riddled. I mean, every all everything, all of my all of, every defect of character that I have is driven by some kind of fear. Yeah. And um, and I remember uh, this guy says, and I'm like a year and a half, two years in, and I'm basically stark raving sober. I'm 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 basically like out of my head in sobriety, causing more damage with the people around me and the people I love than I had been when I was drinking and drugging, where, where I was just, you know, I, I would be comatose or, or passed out or not present. Um, uh, but now I have nothing to, to kill that anger and animosity and everything inside of me. And, um, and some guy says, you know, the real definition of it, I was at a meeting and he goes, the real definition of insanity is joining a 12 step program and not doing the 12 steps. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and this was the guy who I couldn't stand what he, whatever, whenever he spoke at the meeting, when I first got there, but I ended up loving everything he's, he was saying by that time. So I finally asked him if he would take me through the steps. And, uh, and he was like, I thought you'd never ask. So that's where it all began when I went through the steps. Um, and uh, that was life-changing for me. Yeah. Um, I ended up getting to a place by 2015 um, where I was going to meetings all the time. I was speaking at meetings all the time. I had commitments all over the place. Um, I was living, you know, the principles, truly living the principles, um, you know, between that self-discovery and that higher power component, you know, uh, everything was working for me. And then I moved down to Florida. Um, I don't know why, for some unknown reason. Uh, my daughter went to school down there, and my parents were down there, and it was kind of like, okay. Anyway, things fell apart there because I got um, – I I'm just going to tell you this piece because it's a big part of my story – um, I was in the best place I, I, I could have been spiritually and sobriety wise when we moved down there. But by 2018, I had stopped going to meetings um, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, it was different. I don't know. I, I can give you all kinds of excuses, but it's yeah. all bull because you know, the fact was um, I wasn't in my comfort zone anymore and, uh, and things kind of fell apart. And then I got injured um, and, I, and I went on painkillers. And uh, I rode that train for a little while, uh, and then I had to get off that train. So uh, I said, okay, maybe medicinal marijuana, right? Medicinal marijuana. And I knew I couldn't smoke. Um, and at that point, you know, you could get marijuana where it was now like 80% THC content. You know, it was like numb the brain stuff. Uh, and so I had to get off that train. Uh, and then I drank again. And I remember sitting there buying, I bought a bottle of whiskey and, he, and I drank again. Um, so I'd already broken my sobriety, but it was like, I, I you know, so I, I went on a, like a one month binge, like at, from my wife would tell you zero to a million. I mean, it was like added, that progression happened so fast and so quick and so bad uh, that it was like, um, anyway, I dragged myself into a meeting and, and started back up in, 2000, uh, in, in 20, uh, 2019. So I got another four years. So instead of having 14 years now, I, you know, I had the relapse. So I got four years, but I was able to pick back up right where I left off. Yeah, they um, say that a lot, right? You pick up right where you left off. I hear that so often. 
guys who yeah. have 5, 10, 15, 20 years and think maybe I, I, I might be able to have a few few drinks and then it's just boom. Like you said, zero to a million in yeah. no time. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, and the thing was, I had no defense. When, when, when I relapsed again, you know, it was because, you know, I have my, you know, there, there's a line in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which says, you know, we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And for me, that's, that's, that's the truth. Um, because I need, I need the fellowship. I need, you know, my, my tendency is to isolate and, and, and yeah. both physically and mentally. Um, and, uh, and to just be, you know, not self-centered in, in the sense of like being mean or whatever, but like, or selfish being mean, but like self-absorbed, just concerned about myself yeah. constantly. And I, my way of breaking out of that and trying to be among other people and be useful to other people um, is, is by using those 12 steps. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, 10, 11 and 12, which I, I honestly tried to work to the best of my ability um, and willingness you know, on a daily basis, you know, trying to limit the wreckage, the new wreckage I create and uh, trying to keep that contact with, with a power greater than myself. Um, you know, for me, it all boils down to Mike, don't interject yourself. Okay. Don't try to control things. Let the universe unfold, you know, let, let, you know, there, there's, you know, the, the, the saying thy will not mine be done. I mean, I, to me, that's a, that's a spiritual phrase, in the sense that it's like, whatever it is, I don't, I can't define it. God, the universe, the light, the source, the creator, whatever you want to call it. Let, let that go. Let that be what it's, let, let, let it unfold. You know, don't kill yourself with worrying about things that may or may not have, you know, it's, it's like that whole idea of, of, um, of letting things, you know, surrendering, really surrendering to the moment, because I found that in surrender, there's power. You know, yeah, I'm in a much yeah. better place, sanity wise, serenity wise, when when I live that way. You yeah. know. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, I actually, uh, w- when you were saying that, I brought up step eleven. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite ones to sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him. Praying only for knowledge. I love this part too. Praying for, uh, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So, yeah. I mean, for me that, for me that really just uh, um, opens up kind of what what you're talking about, letting go of self, getting out of self, um, in ser- service too. I know I'm I'm gonna ask. I guess I'd ask you this: like, has like being of service, helping other people, does that help you get out of your own mind and out of your own self, like a lot? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the one thing I tell um, people that I sponsor or, or just anybody, you know, that's the thing about the, 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 the 12 steps is I don't, I mean, I think, I think all human beings to a certain extent, you know, are emotionally ill or uh, spiritually ill or, you know, what have you. And I think these steps can apply to not just addicts and alcoholics, but pretty much anyone. But yeah, I mean, I tell people, you know, you, when, when I'm helping someone else, I'm, I'm getting you know, or being useful to someone else, uh, I'm, I'm getting out of myself. Yeah. My quote self, I'm getting out of my own head. I'm getting out of my own way. You know, I'm, 
you know, it's, it's extremely therapeutic, just like talk, tell, talking to another addict or alcoholic about, um, you know, identifying, you know, and telling a story uh, about your experiences and being able to identify with what they say, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it, it, these, these, this, these ideas of hope and, and that you're not the only one going through it and that, yeah. you know, be useful uh, you could, you know, you can rejoin society and be a useful human being and, and actually it will pay off for you instead of just thinking about, you know, yourself and, and your needs and your wants. I mean, honestly, the only the best way I can put it is for all my life, I tried to fit the world into me as opposed to fitting myself into the world as it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. This whole idea of living life on life's terms. It was my, you know, it was my terms growing up. It, you know, like when I first got there, I, I didn't know what this, I, I, I could not identify or understand the serenity prayer because it was like, I grew up in a world where, where it was like, there's nothing you can't change except for a war in a distant land and the weather, you could change anything. It was like, if we're driving to uh driving to a giants game, you know, my dad is driving down the emergency lane. You know, and us kids are in the back going, yeah, you know, this is awesome. You know, and if you got yeah. stopped, you got a ticket, great. But we yeah. weren't those suckers sitting in the, the, the that traffic yeah. for 10 miles, you know. And, and that's the, the state of mind and mind frame that I had grown up. And that's sick. That's a twisted mind frame, you know, because uh, because then you start applying that to everything else in your life. Yeah. And you start stepping on everybody's toes and causing angst between, you know, total inability to, to, to have a personal relationship with someone else because of those kinds of mindsets. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, uh, it's, you're, you're constantly trying to get a leg up, constantly trying to get, how can I, how can I manipulate this situation to get what I want or what I need or what we, where we need to be on time or early or whatever. Um, we got, we got about, I'm just doing a quick time check here. We've got about 10, 12 minutes left. Um, I wanted to hear a little bit about, um, you know, what, what it's like now, and then we'll, we'll get into the, to the book too. Cause I, I want to be sure that, um, you can, uh, tell us a little bit about that work and we, where we can find it, all that good stuff. But I one, one question first, before we do that, you mentioned, um, fear quite, you know, a, a couple of times is as did I, and just sharing a little bit about our experience and stuff and, and kind of that, that controlled chaos and, um, so for somebody who's maybe had a similar experience with that, maybe growing up, um, maybe they've developed some issues with alcohol, with other substances, and they know that they, like, like you said too, you, you knew that you had an issue, like you knew there was a problem there, but you know, it's knowing it and actually see, taking action and getting some help and making that step into a meeting or making a phone call or whatever it is that you got to do is, is really difficult sometimes. So what would you say to someone out there who might be kicking that idea around. Like, they're like, man, I know I need some help, but I don't, I don't really know how to get over this fear. I'm scared to death to go into a meeting. Like what kind of advice or what, what would you share with them? Mike? Yeah. I mean, I know for me, um, you know, my, yeah, I have a healthy respect for the power of my mind, which I guess I equate with ego in a lot of ways. Um, because I remember, um, I remember I thought I was in such a good place before I'd done the steps, you know, before I finally asked that guy to take me through the steps. Um, and I remember I got into the biggest fight I'd ever gotten into with my wife. And she's, and I'm like, I thought I was doing good. And she's like, are you kidding me? You're, you are the, you are as bad as you've ever been. Mm. And you're not drinking or, or doing anything. 
Um, and it was like a wake up call. So, I mean, my mind is not telling me what's, what, what's reality, what the truth is. And that's where, you know, that unmanageability and insanity piece comes in because you, you think you, you think you're, you're, you're in a good place. You think, but, but you're not, your, your mind is telling you one thing and the truth and the reality is another. And it's hard if you don't have someone around you honest enough to, to be able to tell you that. Um, but if you know, you have a problem and you know, you got to do something about it. I mean, I don't know about other people, but like I, one of the things that I grew up with and one of the, 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 the ideas that drove my life was that it was a total weakness to rely on anybody else, let alone some bearded czar in the sky, you know, um, and, and overcoming that was a huge thing. That idea and the idea that if there's something that I really don't want to do out of fear, or even if I'm not fearing because I'm in denial about it, even though I really am fearing, but I'm not, you know, my mind's telling me, oh, it's not fear. It's giving me a, like 10 other excuses, forcing myself to do things that I don't want to do. Um, I like so many times I'll sponsor other men and, and, you know, they, they're like, they don't want to do, they don't want to do something or they don't want to go. When they, when they, I say, if, when you don't want to go to a meeting, that's when you need a meeting most, you know what I mean? So it's like you, you, uh, you, you, I mean, you know, it's hard because it's almost like for me, cause I can only really talk about my experience. I had to be, I had to have that gift of desperation. I had to be in such despair and such, um, I mean, such hopelessness and despair to get motivated. And the same thing happened to me in sobriety. It had to get bad enough in sobriety, kind of like hitting an emotional rock bottom before I, I said, okay, I got to do the steps or I'm going to go back out and drink, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what motivated me. So, you know, um, you know, it's it's hard because it's like if sometimes, you know, people don't don't want to, you know, if they haven't hit that 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 bottom, so to speak, you know, it, I don't know how how they could get the motivation to do what they really need to do, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that's why the book, and you know, like I'm not advocating go back out and test it, test the waters again if you're not convinced. Yeah. But it's like sometimes that's honestly what needs to happen before before you get to that point of desperation where it's like, okay, I, I, I'm going to do it. And that outweighs the fear of, yeah. of just of, pure desperation. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's good, man. Th thanks for sharing that. Um, so what, what is, what is it like today for you? I know you have a family. Um, obviously you just written a book. Um, you're working like just it sounds like a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, you're overcoming being sick. I know you were sick for a minute there. We were trying to do this interview for a minute. Um, but, uh, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what it's like today. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was about 10 years ago when, when I asked, um, when I asked this guy to sponsor me and take me through the steps. Um, and we went through the steps in a very literal way and did a lot of, I did a lot of writing in the fourth step. Um, and as an offshoot of that, of that writing of all those resentments, um, and, uh, and what my part was and, uh, and what the fears were that were driving it out of that came this, this, I don't know, I just started journaling kind of, it just started writing these small episodic stories uh, ab about these childhood memories that I would, that, that, you know, those kinds of things that, that never went away, 
You know, like I, my memory is not great and I can't remember a lot. I mean, kids, you know, friends that I know from back then or family members, whatever, they'll bring things up and I'll be like, oh my God, I didn't remember. You know, I totally had no memory of that. But, I, but there are certain things that I do remember and I did remember, like the, the screwdriver thing, you know, for example. Yeah. So it's like, I started writing these kind of stories out of that. It kind of grew out of that fourth step, you know, resentment list. Um, and it, came, it, it just kind of evolved into this creative writing thing. Uh, and I remember showing some of that stuff to my wife and she was like, wow, this is, this is really good. Um, and so anyway, I start, it was, it's probably been like eight years, nine years since I started to just tool around with the idea of writing yeah. a book. Um, and that I knew a memoir could not be, um, possible for obvious reasons. Um, and I, I didn't, I wouldn't want that anyway. Um, whether those people were alive or not. Um, so I decided to do it as a novel, but I also wanted to bring in this whole recovery piece and spiritual yeah. piece because, you know, um, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, it's like, so I don't know the word for it, but like you see, you see recovery stuff sometimes in film and television, but it's, it's very, it's, it's either inaccurate or it's, it's, it just touches the surface. It, there's nothing that's really out there except for a memoir, an addict's memoir. Um, uh, like, you know, Augustine Burroughs has some memoirs and, yeah. and Mary Carr, you know, lit, you know, those things which are powerful, but nothing really in the way of, of uh, fiction or a novel. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I figured, let me do that. And so I started working on that a long time ago and it kind of evolved into something fairly different from what it started as. Um, but I spent a lot of time on that. Um, I continue to go to meetings, you know, every day um, in the morning. Uh, I'll do in person uh, at night. I'll do Zoom usually. Um, I work with a lot of other people. Um, I really my mission is, you know, after my sponsor took me through the steps, I remember walking out after I read my fifth step and I was like, I can't believe you spent all this time with me, all these hours. Like it's like so foreign to me that someone would give give of themselves in that way. And he was, I was like, I don't know how I could ever repay you. And, and he just looked at me and he said, Mike, just pay it forward, yeah. you know? And honestly, you know, there's that saying again, cliche, but it's like to keep it, I got to give it away. And, um, and that's a huge part of how I live today. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you the only, when I got better, the only thing in the household and among my relationships in business and, and other family, the only thing, the only variable that changed was me. Everything and everything got better. All those relationships got better when I got better. You know, when I stopped, you, you know, being, you know, driven by by resentment and fear and, and uh, you know, and, and all of those things that really, you know, destroy a person. Um, so, yeah, life is life is good today. Um, oh, that's awesome. And, uh, and I'm just grateful for the program. Um, I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, you know, people say, some people say Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't have a great track record, uh, doesn't work. My opinion is that it works fine. You have to work. You have to work. You know, you have to work it. You have to do what's, what's required. Um, you know, I remember when I first got into meetings and people would say, just don't drink and go to meetings. And that was great until it wasn't, until it stopped working. You know, I needed more than that. You know, and that's where the steps come in. But I know today that I can't just have God in my pocket and a big book, you know, under my arm. 
I need the fellowship. I need to go to meetings. I need to be around other people, you know, because I know that, that if, if, if I'm not doing all of these pieces, um, that a relapse is potentially in my future again, yeah. you know, and I, I don't want to go back there because I might not make it back the next yeah. time. Yeah, so, um, I wanted it's, to, it's uh, I wanted to show, show a copy of the book. These things happen. So thanks for sending this over, man. I greatly appreciate it. Um, what's, what's the biggest takeaway for folks who, who pick up the book? What, what do you think's one, one or two things that, uh, that they, that they would really take away from reading the book? I mean, I think they'll identify with a great deal of, uh, and, and it's not just, again, it's not just for alcoholics and addicts. I mean, it's a story. I mean, so many people's lives are touched, even if they're not the addict or the alcoholic. Um, so many people's lives are touched by this. Um, and I think that they'll identify um, with the struggles of, of the characters. Um, I think that they'll identify with this idea that, that um, you know, you know, people, everybody has problems. You know, it's like for so long, I was in denial about the fact that my father had his own childhood, his own upbringing, his own, yeah. God knows what happened to him, yeah. you know? And, and you know, some people, it's just, you know, some people get to a point where they, they, they have no choice but to change and other people get away with the way they are and, and whatever. And, you know, it's just everybody... You have to you have to accept it. You know, you have to you know, my wife always used to say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? I think she got it from Dr. Phil, you know, <laughs> and it's like so yeah. it's like so true. It's like so true. The same with. Um, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, they'll identify with the um, with with the, the the active alcoholism addiction piece and they'll. And they'll find a lot of good stuff uh, in in the evolution into recovery and and becoming more spiritually fit and struggling with the idea of God or a higher power. And um, you know, it's uh, uh, I my hope is that I, you know, I'm not doing it for financial reasons. Honestly, I mean, I just want I I, I my mission today is to help. You know, to yeah. be to be useful and to be helpful to others, especially those struggling um, with alcohol and and, and drugs and, um, and any kind of addiction really. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's a good read. I think it's an enjoyable read. I think it's identifiable and I think there's a lot of good useful tools and tips to take away. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be out here soon. Where's the best place folks could, uh, could find it. Can they put a pre-order in if they want or uh, where Um, where would you direct it? It's released on September. It's going to be released on September 19th. You can go to Amazon, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, um, pretty much wherever books are sold, um, online and pre-order it. Uh, awesome. um, yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll, we'll be sure, uh, for those listening, there'll be links for that. I already have the Amazon link in the show notes here. So it's easy to find for you. Uh, Mike, Hey, thanks so much, man, for taking time with us, coming on, sharing, sharing your story, um, and sharing a bit about the book, man. I appreciate you. It's been really great to meet you too. Great to meet you, Shane. Thanks for having me. I hope someone spoke to you today. Share the podcast with a friend. You can connect with us on Instagram at That Sober Guy Podcast. Be sure to check out Mike's book, These Things Happen. Once again, all those links will be in the show notes for you. Peace, love, and respect, and keep your blood clean. You're the-